Welcome back to the Dying Task Podcast, The Road to Tokyo. How do you know when it's time to go in a different direction? We could be talking about your personal life, could be talking about your professional life. Truth is, when things are bad, it is easy to make a change. You get fired, you look for another job. Things go south, you start to go north, right? But it's harder if things are going okay, even harder if they're going great, really hard if they're going awesome. So as we continue with this Olympic season of Dying to Ask, today we're finding out how someone at the top of her game is making the decision to walk away. She's calling it, but not before one last big event, and that big event, spoiler, the Tokyo Olympics. Now, if that is not personal growth, I do not know what is. My guest today is Kat Osterman. She is one of two members of the U.S. Olympic softball team who actually has Olympic experience. Now, the reason for that is that softball got dropped from the Olympic lineup after 2008. Monica Abbott and Kat Osterman are the only ones who have any Olympic experience on this year's team. But baseball and softball are going to be back in this Olympics because Japan, the host country, loves baseball and softball because it's really good at them and was able to get them in as a sport for 2020. But this could be another one and done because the 2024 Paris games have already said mm, no to the sport being in their lineup. So this is kind of a one-shot opportunity and that's what got Kat Osterman out of retirement and back into the world of softball. Okay, so listen to this bio, and I'm reading straight from the bio to make sure I get it right. She is a dominant left-handed pitcher. Former University of Texas star, a three-time USA Softball Collegiate Player of the Year, four-time All-American, an Olympic gold medalist in 2004 in Athens. She was a baby, the youngest member of the team, silver medalist from 2008, and she has served as an assistant coach for the Texas State Bobcats in San Marcos. She did that from 2015 until 2020. So on this Dying to Ask, how do you make a decision that it's time to move on to your next chapter? And wait until you hear what her chapter is. You're not going to guess it, I promise. How do you stay on top of your field for a really long time? The work habits. How do you stay engaged when the job is so similar from day to day? And we'll play a game of, is it true, with Kat Osterman, some great Olympic factoids to celebrate her incredible career. Kat Osterman is my guest this week on Dying Task. Olympians, they're just different. Sure, they're fitter and faster, but they're mentally different too. Because when the body breaks down, the Olympic mindset takes over. And this year, with the first ever delayed Olympics, that mindset is more important than ever. My name is Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I have covered the last 10 Olympics for Hearst Television. 20 years of studying and, well, obsessing about how Olympians do life. These are the stories of how Team USA's athletes get to the top of a podium and how you can get some Olympic edge in your life coming out of one of the most challenging years ever for all of us. This is Dying to Ask, The Road to Tokyo. Kat Osterman, thanks for being on Dying to Ask. Thanks for having me. So let me tell you the last time you and I were in the same room, it was a press conference in Beijing in 2008. I was pregnant, but not telling people I was pregnant. And I do recall not feeling real great while talking to you. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was uh, almost 13 years ago, but that's it was. Uh, 
quite a lot of details for that memory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. When you're overseas, not telling people you're pregnant at an Olympics and trying to get through it, you do remember a lot of those kind of weird details. But I do now have a 12-year-old who is upstairs doing distance learning. So I guess that shows how long it's been since you've been in an Olympics. Yes, it has. It's been a long while. It has. You know, so exciting to have softball back. And there is a possibility that this is it again for softball. So for you, um, having been on both the 2004 team and the 2008 team, when you heard that Japan would bring it back this time around, it must have been such a motivator to kind of keep on going at the level you're in. Yeah. So actually, when they announced that it was coming back was in 2016 and I was retired. Um And it wasn't even initially a thought in my mind to play again. Um, My first thought was I was super excited for these younger players um, that had been in the national team program that were sticking it out with hopes of an Olympic dream. So you didn't um, have that instant, I'm back in, put me back in coach. Oh, I didn't know that. It took another year or so. um, And really a former teammate of mine, Kelly Kretschmann, who was on 04 and 08 with me, um, she came and she was visiting in Texas and we had a conversation and she said, you know, you could play again. And I said, I know I could, but you know, I'm good. And she was like, no, I think you want to play again. And I was just like, well, I appreciate that, but I love my job and life is going on. Like I got married. I had my stepdaughter, like, and sure enough, she badgered me long enough that, um, I was like, okay, you might be slightly right. You know, your friends know you best. So, um, then I had all my conversations I needed to have with my husband, my boss, my parents, USA softball to see if it was possible. And, um, so yeah, I uh, decided in the fall of 2017 that I would play again. I didn't publicly tell anybody until the fall of 18. Um, and just you took a full and, you took a full year. That's so interesting. I was did. that just to make sure physically and mentally and emotionally and all the all the ease that you were really really all in? Yes, um, I decided in the fall of 17 and have had a conversation with Coach Erickson, who is our head coach for the Olympic team. And he was like, well, why don't you come to tryouts? And I was like, uh, that's like two and a half, three months away. And he was like, well, you can, you can make that work. Like, I know you. And I was like, I, I, I don't want to, like, it's, I, I wasn't making the decision for that quick turnaround. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to know physically that I could continue to do it. And that mentally I was going to be in it and not just going through the motions. And so um, trained for a full year by myself, um, just while balancing my job and my family and uh, fall of 18 came and I was ready to go and, I told them, yep, I'm all in. Here we go. And uh, made they made the announcement for the invites to the 2019 team tryouts. And uh, that's when I said, okay, here, let it known publicly that I'm going to come back. Um, but, you know, originally, like I said, I was excited for the younger athletes. And then for me, it became a um, desire to kind of, to be able to help them get to that top step of the podium. Like I've been there. I know what it's like. It's an amazing feeling. But I felt like if I still had the capability to come back to USA softball and help make that a reality for these younger athletes, then um, I should. Um, There's a small part of me that, yes, is going to enjoy being in Olympic Games again after 2008 when we ended with the silver and have another shot at trying to win the gold. But that wasn't the uh, main driving factor. You know, I love that because what you're talking about is mentorship. And in women's sports, uh, it's everything. And so to go back, having been, because you were that 17-year-old coming in way back when, getting mentored by the more experienced players. So, I mean, it really is, it's such a full circle moment, not only in the actual going to the games, but also in the giving back part of all this. Yeah, I joined USA softball when I was 18 years old. Uh, I want to say like a week after graduating high school. And um, I was fortunate enough that some of the older players 
who were probably not quite my age now, but right. like in their 30s, <laughs> in their 30s, took me under their wing and, and taught me what USA Softball was about and how to navigate it. And I think my career flourished because I was taken under someone's wing so early. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's cool to be able to say and tell, you know, Lori Harrigan's one who was huge in my development of USA softball and to be able to, you know, talk with Lori now and be like, okay, I'm just trying, I'm trying to pass the torch the way you did. Um, And just really be able to celebrate what the women before me taught me and continuing to pass that on. So that way, if there's an Olympics again for softball, there will be athletes who know what the standard is, what it's been like and have, some stories to share, even though they weren't there in 04 and 08, they can be like, oh yeah, you know, Kat and Kelly Kretschmann's actually helping coach us right now while our, while our coaches are in the NCAA, but Kat and Kelly told this story of this one time, and then in 2021, this happens, and, and they'll, they'll just have stories to share as we go, and just the standard of USA softball is continuing to be passed down. That's so cool. You know, there's that, it's a weird moment, no matter what career you're in. And I remember being my newsroom, I was always the kid, you know, and that was my nickname, kid. And then all of a sudden, kid didn't really fit anymore. (laughs) And I remember looking around one day and having this like real stark realization, I'm not the kid, I'm kind of like the grown up now. And it was a weird feeling, cool, but also kind of weird because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, should you take, choose to accept it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, You know, Booth has called me kid and still does. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I did decide to co- go for this journey again, most of them that were on the 2004 and 2018 were like, well, we all knew, we all knew if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be you. Um, and so uh, it, it's pretty cool to have them still be part of it. And they're all texting and we over quarantine, we had some group zooms and stuff. And it was really fun to reunite and chat with everyone. But yeah, now I look at it and while I'm still the kid when we're in that realm, I'm definitely not the kid um, when I get yeah. back with this 21, 21 team. But again, it, it is, it's a cool experience and it's really cool to be able to, I guess, go out in a place where I feel like I grew up. I mean, I really get, did grow up and develop um, in the USA softball program. So for me, it was, it was returning home and it was being able to say goodbye to this game um, in the best way possible. You know, softball and soccer for the women, to me, during the Olympics, it is all about being a role model. Um, It is all about showing little girls all over the world things that are possible when women work together and when women work hard and when the opportunity is there. For softball to only be back in this time, it won't be in Paris. Um, What is the importance of having it back in again? And and where, where do you see it going from here on out? Yeah, so it's in for right now. We're going to cross our fingers that LA in 28 puts it back in as well. Um, but, you know, I think if anything right now, it's a chance for us to showcase how great our sport is and how so many different types of female athletes can be successful and the different, I guess, personalities that you can have and just be have find success in our sport. And we all really embrace that opportunity a lot um you know when we tour when we do clinics and stuff that's the biggest message is you know what fall in love with this game and let it let it mold you and let it help um not define you but define who you're going to be as a person later in life and we all take that very seriously and that's i think the message you know collectively um we try to spread but the other thing is you know i think the younger athletes here get to talk about how they continued to work hard at something, even though they didn't know if this dream was ever really going to come to light. And they all continued to play because they love the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we had the NPF where you could play professionally. Some people go over to Japan and play professionally. We have athletes unlimited, which has just started. It'll be season two this year. Um, that's a huge opportunity. So 
there's opportunities to continue to play and continue to get yourself ready for in the journey for an Olympic dream. And so I think moving forward after this Olympics, that's what you'll see a lot of these younger athletes do. They'll continue to train for other opportunities in hopes that 28 comes to light here in the next few years. You grew up in Texas. Um, I went to high school in Fort Worth and we share a common respect for Nolan Ryan, who back when I was in high school was doing all the crazy things he was doing at an age where typically people weren't doing them. So one of the things I'm dying to ask you is how did you make the decision having come out of retirement to do this and to continue the sport for a while to publicly announce I'm back out as of this date? How did you know, because you're still firing on all cylinders, (laughs) you're doing everything at the top of your game. How do you know it's the, how do you make that kind of a decision? Um, well, the unretirement decision just came with the, the digging deep to figure out if you're going to really be able to be mo- motivated and committed and dedicated enough to continue training the way you had when you were younger. And so for me, fortunately, when I was younger, I didn't have any, anything else on my plate. Um, I wasn't married, didn't have a, you know, a family to be balancing and all of that. And so I could be very singularly focused. And that's the only way I know how to train is being very singularly focused. And so um, it took a lot of conversations with my husband just about, okay, this is how I train. This is the only way I know how to train to be at this level. So this is what we need to expect. You know, when I'm, when I'm here with the national team at training camp, do I talk to him? Yes. But am I talking to him every free break? No, it might just be in the morning and then in the evening and that's it. So we may go a couple hours, six hours, eight hours, not talking. And it's not that I'm not, present in my marriage as well it's just a matter of this is what I have to do to be present training because we're doing we're, we're aiming for one goal um he's still going to be there at the end of this um, when we're done and, and so can I just stop you just for a sec that is such an interesting point because you're really talking about being very clear with your partner your family about expectations and that you're still all in with them too but here's how we're going to do this and this will be our normal for a while that's so interesting and so important yeah, it was extremely important. And that's when, you know, when I said I was thinking about playing again, he was all in, like, in a, in a drop of a hat. He was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, well, do you know what that means? And so <laughs> I explained it. Um, you know, I explained it and we talked about, you know, when I, he thankfully over quarantine, he figured out he's, he's a pretty decent catcher. So he catches me, which has made throwing a lot easier. Um, well, real, but, real quick, does your husband have any a- athletic background? Like, did he know you during, you know, back in the day when you were doing all this stuff? Oh, yeah. So we dated my senior year of college. And then when I was leaving for professional ball, I broke up with him. Cold Turkey just didn't want to have to worry about somebody else. Um, and 10 years went by where we didn't even really speak. And then we reunited and we've been dating. Well, we dated and then got married. So um, there's a 10 year wow. gap in our relationship. But yeah, so he was actually dating me in 2006. Um and in his mind, he was planning to go to 2008, but I broke up with him before that. So he didn't well, get the chance to do that. It all came around full circle, as you said. <laughs> I did, but as he says, he's not destined to go to the Olympics since uh, they aren't allowing foreign fans. So unfortunately Ugh. he has, but um, yeah. So, I mean, he kind of knew because he dated me my senior year of playing at Texas. And so he knows how intently I train. Right. Um, but we just had to talk about what that looked like as a family. And um, it's been pretty smooth for the most part. And so, you know, I talked with him about that. And then Mm -hmm. I told him that no matter what, you know, like originally it was going to be July of 2020 when we were done playing, I was going to be done. But um, as soon as I'm done with this, I will be done for good. And and that's a conversation we've had. And I'm just ready to be home, be with my family, watch my stepdaughter play and dance and everything she does. And 
not really have to continue leaving, leaving home unless it's by choice. So for people who, you know, maybe are in a career they've been doing for a long time and they do it, they're doing it really well. That's a hard time to make a jump to something different. Is that just a gut feeling that you think people get that it's just time to either do something different or to take a chance? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a gut feeling coupled with a lot of times you have a curiosity of what it would be like to do something else. And whatever that curiosity is, is strong enough that you're not like diving headfirst into no man's land where you don't know anything about it, but it's obviously curiosity of something that you've been exploring or researching. And you're like, you know what, I think I could do this. And you kind of have to take a leap of faith sometimes to be able to do that. Um, I did, I got my real estate license this past fall. Um, and so that's going to be part of my plan moving forward. I don't really never, I mean, I had been putting off the idea of real estate for years. I have a friend who's been a broker and he's like, you'd be great. You'd be great. Like, yeah, no, I have this softball thing. Um, and so <laughs> finally I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it and I'm going to try. And if I'm great at it, great. And if I'm not, then I'll figure something else out. But um, that's really you just have, cool. to have a, leap of, a leap of faith, a gut feeling. And sometimes I think we need change. We need that, that change to, in creativity of our minds and stuff. I think you're 100% correct. No doubt about that. Um, do you have a favorite real estate show on HGTV? Um, you know, I watch all of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> flip or flop um list or sell isn't that what yep. it's called right right um, have you seen um house hunters million dollar homes i have not seen million dollars homes no watch that one it's all la so it's all like la ridiculous okay. ridiculous yeah, Beautiful though. Tip and Joanna Gaines make me want to renovate my house all the time. Oh my gosh. God love them. And they're so nice. I still like them after they all are. of it too. I know. I, I know. keep thinking I want to go to the silos. One of these times I make it home, I'm going to do it. Okay. So I have a couple of quick questions for you. You have some right. of the, um, you have some really cool things on your bio. And I wanted to ask you if I can find my notes here. Hold on one sec. Okay. Is it true that you are ambidextrous in golf? Yes. You are. I Yes. So I haven't really tried to golf right-handed in a while, but yes, I grew up golfing right-handed because my dad was members at the country club across the street from our house. Um, I wish I could say it was like, you know, a magnificent country club, but it was a pretty normal. Um, and the golf pro's daughter golfed and she was right-handed. So I just borrowed her club. So I learned right-handed. And then after playing softball, obviously left-handed felt a little bit more natural after swinging a bat. So, but I can still actually pretty effectively swing right-handed. That's really cool. My father was a lefty, but back, you know, he was born in the thirties. And so back then they made lefties do everything righty. And so he did all sports with his right, even though he was a lefty, which I always thought was amazing, yeah. but he was ambidextrous pretty much everything because you had to be. Um, yep. Greatest weakness as an athlete, would you say? What would you say is yours? Um, greatest weakness, that might be my temper. Um, I can get You've been really nice on this podcast. <laughs> you seem good. <laughs> so far. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty good, but there's times where sometimes I get frustrated with myself or um, an umpire's decision or something. And if it's really like a, a game changing moment, I have to, I've had to learn how to like breathe and regroup and get over it because I, I do, I don't want to say I'm a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist by any means. I know that's not possible in our sport, but I, I just want to be successful and I want to be successful for my team. So there's times where if I'm not throwing well, I might be getting really frustrated, even though to the outsider, it looks like success um, because I want to be as great as possible for my team. So 
I have yeah. a little bit of a temper that can get out of control on occasion. Yeah. Okay. Um, who nicknamed you Cat? So that came in eighth grade volleyball, I believe. Um, we had three Catherines, a Kathy, Carrie, Caitlin, you name every C and K name you could think of. There were like eight of us. Um, and mine was the only one spelled with a C. So they shortened it to Cat. And um, it kind of stuck. And then when I went to high school and played basketball, the freshman basketball coach was like, are you, have you ever been called cat? And I was like, well, yeah, I got called cat last year in volleyball. And she was like, all right, well, we're going to stick with that because Catherine is way too long to yell down the court. So the funny part was I had um, family friends that I, we, me and their daughter had grown up together and they came to watch the two of us play sports in high school. And one of the, I think her dad was like, who is, who's cat? Like everyone keeps yelling cat, who's cat? And finally my mom's like, that's Catherine. And they're like, oh, <laughs> so anyone who knows me like pre-high school, I'm Catherine. Anything after high school, I'm Cat. That's a great story. Um, is it true you almost killed your dad in a driveway pitching session? Well, I thought I did. I don't really think he was that close to death, but his reaction made me think I knocked him unconscious. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was pitching and we were working on my rise ball and I threw it too high and it hit off the ledge of the garage and happened to ricochet straight back into the base of his head, kind of where his like neck and I guess your skull meet. And he just fell forward straight on knees. And when I asked him if he's all right, he wouldn't answer. So I ran in the house and was like, mom, mom, I think I killed dad. <laughs> um, now granted, she went out there and I think I had, I think it had cut his, the, his skin open a little bit, not stitches or anything, but I just hit him hard enough. I think it knocked him out for a little bit. It probably made his day in a weird way too, knowing dads. <laughs> um, we just have a couple of minutes left. I'm curious to know, like, how has uh, being a stepmom changed your life? I mean, it's definitely like having a family and, and someone you're responsible to in that home life. I mean, clearly it's played into the, the business and the work decisions and stuff, but how has it changed you as an, an individual? Yeah, it's changed me a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, it wasn't the easiest transition, obviously, you know, anytime you're an adult and you're entered to, into a child's life, especially when she's been the only child with just her dad for at least a year, year and a half. Um, it took me some time to figure out how to be motherly towards someone that I was seeing every day versus, you know, my boss had kids and I would see them and I get along and play with them. And then, you know, I'd come home and he'd be like, well, you're great with them. Like, what's the difference? Like, they go back to their house. <laughs> yeah. They're um, all great in small spurts. It's, it's the, you know, right. go to bed. It's the go to bed. It's the waking up. It's the downtime that makes, makes parenting challenging. It is. And, um, but it's been great. It's, it's tested my patience, which I don't have much of, but I've learned to have a little bit more. Um, it's also allowed me to really think about what's important and what do you want to instill in a child. And so I think if there's anything as she got older and was able to understand that I'm trying to help you grow, like I'm trying to help you be a better person um, and being able to verbalize that in vocabulary that, you know, six, seven, eight, now nine-year-old can understand um, that's helped. And so I think we've bonded over different things. Um, her and I talk about our faith a lot um, during quarantine. She actually told me she wanted to be baptized after we had done like a devotional. And so I was super excited to hear that. Um, I've mentioned a few times to other people, she's, she's starting to pick up pitching and softball. And that's obviously from watching, but not being pushed by any means. It's something she's enjoying doing. And then 
she just really enjoys, you know, being around and having conversations. So slowly over time, you know, she's kind of become my little best friend that follows me when we have her. Um, and very fortunate that her mom and I have a good relationship. And so that makes it easier too. Um, I'm very blessed as far as our blended family goes, because we all pretty much have the same um, ideals and, and things we're trying to teach her. So it's not like it's different at one house or the other. Um, and that's been having her mom's support probably has been the most helpful because it allows her to see that, you know, we're both trying to do the same job and I understand I'm not your real mom, but I'm going to yeah. help try to raise you to be an amazing young woman when you leave well, our house. It sounds like a really nice phase in your life. I mean, really what a year when you think about it, as you look about like yeah. closing this chapter in your life and you know, you're number 38, you will be 38 at the Olympics. That's kind of cool too. Nice symbolism yeah. all around. Right. Thank you, quarantine, or thank you, COVID, for allowing that to happen. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, it's, it's, there you go. You found the silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's always looking for. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good space having her. It's taught me a lot. Um, and it's allowed me just to, to be able to, you know, find that space. And, and she understands why I'm leaving, but she'll always ask, how many more trips is there? So mm. we have the, the trip countdown going because, you know, I do want to be able to enjoy the things she's doing with her dance and softball and things like yeah. that. Well, it's a nice perspective. That's for sure. I think we're all kind of enjoying yeah. all those little things that much more this year, for sure, after everything. Oh, yeah, been for sure. So Kat, what's a good way for people to keep up with you here for the last couple of months before the Olympic Games? So I'm most probably active on Instagram at Kat Osterman, C-A-T-O-S-T-E-R-M-A-N. Um, I'm also on Twitter, same handle, at Kat Osterman. And then I do have a Facebook page. If you search Kat Osterman, I I'm on that quite a bit, but Instagram's probably the thing I'm most active on, um, but everything's run by me. So I'm putting my two cents on Twitter sometimes and trying to keep everyone updated with photos and videos on Instagram. And then these are the same places in September we go to buy a house, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. When you, if you need a house in Texas, let me know. I'll be glad to help. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Good luck with everything else you have coming up. It sounds like a great plan. I appreciate it. You bet. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And a thanks to our friends at Got Milk. Kat Osterman is another one of the Got Milk athletes. And if you're thinking, wow, you've had a lot of them on the podcast. Um, I've had pretty much every single one of them because each is such a, a leader in their field for so many different reasons. Great motivators, great backstories. And they have just really been a joy to talk with um, on this podcast. So thank you, Got Milk. Appreciate you helping me out and uh, making these connections with these really great athletes. So that is uh, this week's show. And I would love to invite you to interact with me on Instagram. You'll find me on Instagram at runreadsip. Feel free to DM me if there's a sport you'd like me to cover or if you have some Olympic questions, don't forget, you can always send them to me or put them on social media with the hashtag AskFitz. And we will be answering some of those in upcoming Dying to Ask podcast episodes. Thanks for sharing the show on social media. Let your friends know that this is a great show to be listening to because your recommendation is the greatest way to grow the podcast. Thanks for listening this week. I'll see you again next time on Dying to Ask, The Road to Tokyo.